Hi, I'm Skip Nipper. Welcome to my podcast, where I tell you about Nashville's great baseball history and traditions. Shot to right a one-hop liner. Certainly about its past, especially about Tom Wilson Park, Herschel Greer Stadium, Sulphur Dale, but also a little bit about its present and future, too. Yes, he can. A mix the waist-high catch. And I introduce you to players, coaches, and other fans and their love for everything baseball. A high fly ball down the right field corner going way back. Hits a leadoff home run. Bobby Dernball, a fan favorite Nashville Vols baseball player, toiled in the infield at Sulphurdale during the 1955, 1956, 1958, and 1959 seasons. He died a few days ago at the age of 90. And on the occasions when he would thumb through photographs of some of his teammates that I gave him, he rarely spoke ill of anyone, although there was a player or three with whom he did not agree with in the way they performed, either on or off the field. But if someone were extra special to him, especially a teammate, he would say he was a good guy with emphasis on good. In the conversations I relished over the phone or sitting on the side of the bed with his family in a motel room or sharing a meal at Rickwood Field or at a Nashville Old Timers Baseball Association banquet, he was true to his word and never wanted to hurt anyone with his stories. Once, he asked me if I was recording our conversation and I told him, yes, but only the parts when you did not say any vulgar words, to which he chuckled and said, oh, heck, that's all right. And he continued on truthfully and with that great memory about games and ballparks, this so-and-so or that so-and-so, but the conversation always drifted to the subject of family, especially Betty. She was the one who I remember sitting next to him, wearing the cap or T-shirt like his, giggling like a schoolgirl at some of the things he said. It was always clear to me they were a team. Even though he has passed away, I suppose they still are and always will be. We had many conversations over the phone, too. During the last few years, I can hear him saying now, Hello, Skipper when he recognized my voice, and he usually jumped right into a memory and sometimes a comment on how things had changed, especially with baseball. But now let me tell you a little bit about what I know of him, what I learned about him as a player. Now, he was not known for his batting average. Sure, he hit 331 in 1951, his first season as a pro baseball player, playing with the Welch Miners in West Virginia, where the infields were not as good as some of the high school fields near his hometown of Beaver Creek, Ohio. The team finished last in the Appalachian League that season, but his average was second on the team and in the top 10 in the league. But he was popular, maybe because he had a car, but probably more so because of who he was, the consummate teammate known for his grittiness and for his hustle. Bobby was always a fan of the Cincinnati Reds, who played at Crosley Field some 50 miles away from where he grew up. And when he had a chance to sign with the club, he took it. And Welch was one of those farm clubs where one of his teammates was Dave Bristol, and they struck up a friendship. The next season promoted to Ogden, Utah, in the Pioneer League. And although Bobby suffered a series of injuries, for the most part, he played shortstop and was the leadoff batter. 
and he was hoping for a promotion to Nashville, the next stop in the Cincinnati Reds minor league lineup, when Uncle Sam came calling. So he was out of baseball in 1953 and the 1954 seasons, but he became a Vols infielder in 1955, and his new Keystone partner would be Larry Taylor. I once asked Bobby who is the best infielder he ever played with, and without hesitation, he told me it was Larry Taylor. He would say, he threw the ball to me just perfectly, where it should be for me to make a play at second, and where it should be just where it needed if I had to complete a double play at first base. Now, another teammate in Nashville was Tommy Brown, who, while with the Brooklyn Dodgers, became the youngest major league player to hit a home run at 17 years of age, a record that still stands. And knowing something about nicknames, as Brown had become known as Buckshot, Buckshot Tommy Brown, a name given to him by Dodgers manager Leo DeRocher because of his scatter arm, and for whatever reason, he gave Bobby the nickname Scroggy, and it stuck. Bobby had another season in Nashville in 1956, and during a particular part of the season, when Bobby was struggling at the plate, his manager, Ernie White, would not take him out of the lineup. If that little rascal would just hit a little, it would help, White declared. But I cannot take him out of the lineup. He is fielding too well. He's just the hustlingest baseball player I ever saw. I will take him over any two shortstops I have seen in this league. Now, when he is hitting, there's not anybody who can come close to being as valuable as he is. Sports writer F.M. Williams wrote in the Nashville, Tennessean newspaper that there was more to Bobby than his fielding when he wrote, Dernbaugh's greatest asset is his disposition. He is extremely popular with his teammates. Bobby told writer Chris Rainey, Chris Rainey wrote his biography for the Society for American Baseball Research. Bobby told him that the 1956 season was the most enjoyable of his career. He was even voted team most valuable player. But I think there was one more reason that that was the most enjoyable year of his career. He was introduced to Betty Jean Meeker, and they were married in October that year. And as good as 1956 was, Bobby once recalled that 1957 was the worst year I had in baseball. He bounced around from Seattle to Omaha to Rochester, but he was called up to Cincinnati in September when he entered a game in the ninth inning against the Cardinals on the 22nd, and then on the 27th in Milwaukee where he had his first and only at-bat in a major league uniform against Lou Burdett, and he grounded out. But Bobby was back in Nashville for the 1958 and 1959 seasons, and he sat out the 1960 season and worked construction with the family. But his friend Ernie White coaxed him back into baseball in 1961 to play with Mobile and the Southern Association and then also with the Shreveport Sports. Bobby retired from baseball after that, and although he had hoped for a coaching job with the urging of White, things had not panned out, and he took a job with an oil company in his hometown. Now, here's where I got to know Bobby for the first time. Bobby had a 40-year career in the sporting goods industry. That's how I first met Bobby. My dad and I were sporting goods sales reps, and dad told me about Bobby working at Jim Collins Sporting Goods in Fairborn, Ohio and later at another sporting goods business in Springfield, George Meek Company. Dad wanted me to start covering Ohio for him, and I'm glad he did, because he introduced Bobby to me, and he told me to get the scoop on playing for Nashville at Sulphurdale, and Bobby and I talked for about 40 minutes 
while dad was working with the owner of the company. That was a blessing to me. That conversation and subsequent visits contributed to my becoming interested in researching, reading, and writing about the Nashville Vols and Sulphur Dale and the players. And it continues to this day because of Bobby's great memory and his willingness to share, even up to a few weeks before he passed away on September the 20th of 2023. I'll never forget April the 17th, 2015, when Bobby was in Nashville for the opening game of First Tennessee Park, which overlaps the site of Sulphurdale. Bobby was all smiles with the former Vols players and teammates Buddy Gilbert, Roy Pardue, and Larry Taylor attending. And it was a dream for me to see them smiling and continuing to share stories of their playing days. Later, Bobby came down to Birmingham with the Friends of Rickwood at the Southern Association Conference where he was the lunchtime guest And everybody just stopped and listened to his stories because he was so vivid in illustrating the stories playing at Rickwood Field and other ballparks in the old Southern Association. I still speak with Buddy Gilbert, who lives in Knoxville, not often enough. But Roy Pardue and Larry Taylor have passed, and now so has Bobby. But I'll tell you, for a long time, I have heard story after story, always from that vivid point of view, always willingly shared, and I have willingly accepted baseball blessings from one of the great ones. Bobby Dernbaugh has been a great friend. Memories remain, though, and his family and friends and those who knew him well certainly will miss him, whether as a husband, a dad, granddad, great-granddaddy, or just plain old Scroggy. And I will, too. Bobby was, as he often said about others, a good guy. And I say, with the emphasis on good, I'll miss you, Bobby.